Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. And we're here to talk to you about uh, one of the fine sponsors of Front Row Knowles, and that is the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been with us for the last couple of years. Uh, many of you may have sampled it for the first time during the spring game. Uh, if so, the news was good. They had the biggest crowd they've ever had in there, and uh, from the stories I heard, things went well. Feedback was uh, off the charts in terms of the uh, – it was a great day to be outside, a great day to be inside, all the food, all the drink, all the uh, t- uh, televisions. You, you couldn't miss the action because of all the glass. I mean, there were a number of people – that spent their first game at Doak Campbell Stadium at the Champions Club during that spring game, and uh, they'll be back, and you need to join them. 644-1830 is how you can get some more information or tickets. Uh, you can buy season tickets. Obviously, a great home schedule this year. They've also got three-game packs this year, so you can uh, truly sample it uh, before you make the, the the five-year commitment, I guess, to buy the, buy the season tickets. But it, it's worth checking out. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about Florida State football for obvious reasons, and this is one of them. Very much so. And remember, with your Champions Club seats, you get opportunity to be in the club on Friday, come back on Sunday. Uh, you can make it a weekend visit and a weekend destination. You'll enjoy it. What he said. Now here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Front Row Knowles is back. KJ, how goes it? It goes well. It goes well. I'm disappointed. I guess we can't talk football anymore because we're all done. Well, we're going to do it today. Okay, good, 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 good. And then we sort of turn the calendar to May here shortly, and we go, what do we talk about in June and July? And <laughs> then August gets here, and we get all happy again, and we realize that fall camp is a really long time until we get to September 3rd. So it really is a 10-month sport. It's pretty much a 12-month sport. You know that. There you go. That was something over the weekend. I, I was amazed. Let's we'll, we'll save the conversation for X's and O's. Um, 60, 61,000 people. Uh, how about this for a, a game? I actually thought that was low, by the way, it looking been, at it. I mean, I, if they'd have said 65, I'd have bought it. How about this for a gig? That, that's greater than the average attendance for a University of Miami home football Yeah, game. that's been making its way around on uh, – so I like media. that. And you had 300 plus, to be maybe, fair, as, many, to maybe be as many as 400 former players there, which that I'd never seen that happen before. Gene Cox Stadium probably draws more on average than a Miami Hurricanes home football Ooh, game. We are going to go that far down, are we? All right. Go continue with your thoughts. Sorry. Point being, a number, a vast number of players back, players that you hadn't seen in 25 years back on um, Dope Camel. So Stadium. let's expand upon that because it's been well chronicled in broad terms, but let's. Let's put some names with this. And you mentioned a name from the 70s who you know, but I just want to fill this in by decade. And and first of all, a lot of these guys, not as many as what we saw this weekend, were back during the Jimbo era. I mean, Jimbo, it wasn't like it was a closed-door policy. Lavernius Coles was back a few years ago when Jimbo was here, sort of buried the hatchet. But start with your era in the 70s and a name that came well up. it was it was reported in the paper jim henry uh, wrote a, a nice little article on it but uh, um, there was two brothers i played with the fudge brothers uh gary uh was the younger of them and he lives over in, in bluntsdale and he made the comment if i read it correctly that it had been 21 years since he had received anything from florida state basically acknowledging his presence or the fact that he had played ball or to the extreme of inviting him back and as soon as he got that email he signed up he was here 
for whole the whole weekend. Um, so that, that's just amazing to me. And that's point number one is that this was not just inviting the way, high profile. My brother's name was Greg. I didn't mention Greg. This was not just inviting the high profile guys back. This was inviting everybody back. Very much so. Okay, so he's in the 70s. Well chronicled that Dion, who came through in the 80s, part of the Herald of 85 class, had not been associated with the program during the Jimbo years for whatever reason and really wasn't back a whole lot during the Bobby years, to be frank. His connection had been with Jimmy Calloway, the longtime equipment manager. Dion's on board. Then you go to the 90s and Jerry Thomas was back. Now, that name may not ring a bell for the young folks, but Jerry Thomas was the kicker in wide right one. And he missed the kick and basically disappeared from Florida State football circles, as any of us probably would want to do. But he came back. Lavernius Coles was back. Now, I mentioned he'd been back previously a couple of years ago. And then you get to the 2000s and DeVar Darling, whose twin brother died during mat drills, was back for the first time. So I'm saying all that to just try to put context to the fact that this was every decade of Florida State football, and it was guys who didn't exactly have a positive taste in their mouth for whatever reason still came back. And something that, that you and I have talked about and we will do on a future show uh, is there? there's a concerted effort among Coach Taggart and his staff to intentionally reach out to these former players. There's a position that has been created within the athletic department whose sole job and function is to do that. Uh, I found out about uh, a meeting that occurred either last week or the week before um, where several former players were invited into Coach Taggart's office, Jimmy Jordan being one of them. That's who I talked with. And, and Tommy, they were in there for two and a half, three hours, just one-on-one, not one-on-one, but a group with him for a consecutive amount of time, which which head coach has, ever has three hours of a block of time that he dedicates to anything. Just talking about what Coach Taggart's vision was, what the players' thought process was relative to what had happened in the past, and what could they do going forward to to content, to elevate and bring back that that sense of family. And that's absolutely 100% concerted effort by coach Willie Taggart. He's making that a point of emphasis and it's showing. Well, he's been well received everywhere. If you talk to anybody, former player, works at the university, volunteer, board member, they've all been impressed by what they've seen. Obviously in recruiting circles, what he's preaching or what he's selling, the recruits are buying because Did you read what I read FSU's this morning? up the number 1 in the nation yeah. in recruiting in ranking. The 2019 class, obviously that's all project conjecture and projection, but they're number 1 in the country. And bear in mind that staffs that didn't have turnover have been working on that 2019 class for more consecutive months than since January when he finally had his whole staff piece together. Again, we'll talk X's and O's with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, in, in just a few minutes when, when he joins us. I do want to mention, Keith, just pull out your calendar. Here, you, i got your next three days planned, especially Friday. This will be big for you. But tomorrow is Taco Thursday at Township. Friday, they have the Rosé Happy Hour at Centrale from 4 to 7. That's ooh, the one I have earmarked ooh, for you. That's the colored wine. I like that. Saturday, this just doesn't sound like a good idea, but I know it'll be packed. It's the Tallahassee Beer Mile. Is that is that I've the looked crawl? At, I've looked at well. That's really what it is is a pub crawl. Okay, those who want to race go right ahead. I've never you, participated. No, but, that's not true. You participated in one thing one time because I sat there and watched you. Yes, but that that one was not a beer crawl. That was a food crawl. And that was an even worse idea. That was like run a quarter mile, eat a piece of pizza, run another quarter mile. It was something like that. That was at Madison Social back in the day. 
This one involves proof grasslands, brass tap, and and Madso. It starts at four o'clock. You basically drink a beer, then run to the next establishment and drink another beer and proceed accordingly. Like I said, I'm not advising it. If you do it, uh, I advise Uber on the way home. That's Bring all a friend. I have to say about that. Bring a friend. Don't do this by yourself. The the spring game continues to be the big topic, but I'll tell you what, we'll we'll save some of that. We're going to welcome uh, Dwayne Holtquist to the program momentarily because it's a big weekend for the men's huge, tennis team. Huge weekend. We'll explain that. Then Tim Linnefelt will join us and we'll continue this conversation. We are just getting cranked up here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith with you. We will get back to football in just a minute. I do think Keith... Historically, we've done a pretty good job of giving everybody their due out of the Florida State Athletics Department. The basketball team's run to the Elite Eight, combined with the new coaching staff on the football side, has led to an awful lot of conversation there, and we have not necessarily given appropriate due to every other program, but we're going to try to make up for that to some degree right now. And what is going to be a huge weekend for Florida State Athletics, not not the last weekend we're talking about, we're talking about the weekend coming up. That's right. So men's tennis coach Dwayne Holtquist joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Dwayne, we talked to you a couple weeks ago when you were running through the airport literally on your way to some ACC matches uh, on the road. I know it feels good to be back home. And for those who don't know, to put context to this, the men's tennis team currently back into the top 10. I want to say you're 25 and 2, and and uh, I think I hit puberty as I said that, and 9 and 1 in the ACC. Congratulations on the success thus far, Coach. Oh, thanks, and thanks for having me on. It's uh, been an exciting season, and uh, we, we we play in what I kind of think is the best conference in the country, and we've got a couple uh, real big matches this weekend. Well, and that's the impetus for this conversation right now because FSU joined the ACC in the early 90s, and I don't know that the men's tennis team has ever won the ACC regular season championship, but you've got a chance to do it depending on literally if you can hold serve against North Carolina and Duke this weekend. Uh, that's right. Um, we're currently tied for first with uh, Wake Forest and North Carolina. We already beat North, uh, Wake Forest when they were number one in the country. And now we uh, got an opportunity to play a really, really good team Friday night in North Carolina. There's seven in the country, uh, NCAA finalists last year. And um, they, they have an outstanding team. And uh, so it's going to be a great match. And it's something we want to see a huge crowd out there. And in tennis, college tennis, the crowd makes a big difference. It, it did against Wake Forest, and would love to see that happen this weekend against North Carolina and Duke. To, to that end, Coach, tell us about the times and the, and when the matches start uh, there at the Spiker Center. Okay. We play Friday night at 530, uh, play under the lights after work, and, um, you know, it's a great atmosphere out there. Uh, there'll be uh, some opportunities uh, for food out there as well, and so you can kind of make it an evening out there and, um, in college tennis, you can be a little more rowdy than you can maybe at a pro tournament. Uh, so this is a great opportunity to you know get behind the team and, and really cheer them on. Well, let's expound upon that because many of our listeners may not have ever been to a college tennis match. So 
I'll, I'll let you explain it, but you play the doubles point first, and then there's six singles matches that take place simultaneously. That's right. And the doubles, you play only one set, so you have three doubles that go on. Whoever wins two of those three uh, sets wins the doubles point. The doubles point gives you some momentum uh, going into the singles, and it's based out of seven points, and then each of the six singles is worth a point each. Um, one of the things that's made our team very unique this year is our top three spots are actually uh, combined 53 and 9 on the year, including um, Lucas Polian, who's played line three for us, is actually 21 and 1. So we've been really good at the top of the line. We've been good all the way through. Um, but, um, you know, we, uh, you know, if you win that doubles point, it's, it's like having a little lead at halftime. And um, so, you know, I think the doubles point will be very important for Friday and Sunday. Uh, Dwayne, I know you're happy to be back home. You had made the comment uh, before we went on the air that you had been gone a, a significant amount of time recently. I was complaining about time away traveling with basketball, but you you win. You you get the travel award. <laughs> That's right. We were we were gone ten out of twelve days. Uh, we left on a Wednesday and and played in Virginia at Virginia Tech and and uh, and UVA, and then we came back home. And then we left on another Wednesday and. Um, and we went to Boston, and then we went, went from Boston to uh, Notre Dame and played, uh, you know, four matches in a row on the road. And, you know, what makes it a little bit challenging is some of those matches you end up playing inside. Um, the little difference between playing outside and inside, and so we had a very much a, a dogfight beating Notre Dame um, at their indoor courts on Sunday, 4-3, uh, to three, and, and it was a nice comeback win for us. That's a perfect lead up to what I was going to ask you about next, Wayne, because I know the ACC championships are next week and they're in the state of North Carolina. Keith, you and I haven't gone down this road in a while, but recently the conference announced that the football championship is going to stay in North Carolina for another 10 years. I heard Corey talking about this on Wake Up War Chant. I'm curious from your perspective, because you just pointed out that, the, as, as we all know, the ACC footprint is, is pretty expansive. You just went from Boston to South Bend after playing in Virginia. And yet, when you look at the conference championships, golf is this weekend. It's in North Carolina. Football's staying there. Baseball's always there. Women's basketball is always there. Men's basketball's going back. Tennis is in Cary, North Carolina. Would it be better to move it around and to be fair i don't know how much the tennis has moved around mm-hmm. or is it just such a good location that it truly makes sense to have it in the home state of the league office well i would like to see it move around uh the sec plays it at each school and rotates it between uh all their schools that support uh men's and women's tennis and the sec uh we play most every year in carry i do think it's a big advantage because our kids are going through finals there in that stage and um, you have North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Wake Forest that are right there. So uh, Cary's just outside of Raleigh. So I, I would like to see it moved. Um, you know, in the state of Florida now, we have uh, the USTA National Center in uh, Lake Nona, just outside of Orlando, and they're hosting NCAA tournaments, and they host about 100 events a year. So I would like to see at least, you know, once every three or four years it, it be in um, – uh, Orlando, it's a great venue. Um, they've got Tennis Channel covering matches out of there now. So I would, I would love to see that happen. Uh, usually, uh, Miami, Florida State, Notre Dame, and Boston College, we all tend to vote together. But um, uh, there are more schools that are closer to Cary, and that seems to win out. For those who haven't been to Cary, Cary is one of the cities where their sports commission or whatever has gotten behind 
the business that is bringing sports to town. So USA Baseball is there. I've called games there when, when UNC had its stadium redone. So that's a big facility there. I think they've got swimming there, tennis course. The soccer championships have been there. So it is that. But I can't imagine that the tennis facility there, with due respect to Kerry, is nicer than what the USTA has in Lake Nona. And I was going to ask you about that. You just mentioned it. You've been playing Florida there, I think, regularly uh, and drawn a couple thousand people to what is just a terrific venue. Uh, yes, it's unbelievable what they've done there. It was a big risk for the USTA to do that, and they moved their headquarters there, and um, now all the top uh, pro players are out of there. Their player development is out of there, and, and they've really embraced college tennis. They have these college match days. They do about six a year, and uh, we did our Florida match there, uh, both men and women, and um, our women beat Florida this year in a very tight match, and then uh, we beat them 4-3 for the second year in a row uh, down there. But, you know, for us, the exposure of being on Tennis Channel, uh, having a couple thousand people at a match, uh, they've really embraced it. And, and the 2019 NCAA championships will be there in Lake Known as well. Coach, you mentioned your number three player. Tell us uh, tell us about a couple of your kids, some things that our listeners might be interested in knowing about them as, as individuals and, 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 and student athletes. Uh, Lucas Pullian is playing not line three for us. Uh, he's 21 and one this year. Uh, he's in grad school. So it's, it's a little different than, you know, usually you have, um, 18 year old freshmen. You know, he, he came to us last year as already having graduated from a French university. And, uh, here he is now just, uh, playing great for us. He's actually ranked 31 in the country and, uh, been ranked in doubles. And, uh, our other, other guys have been playing one and two as he's the guys. 16 and four gear the kunda is 16 and four they've played lines one and two they've been ranked as high as top 10 in the country and um you know we're going to most likely qualify three guys for the ncaa championship individually which you play post after the the team championship uh, in the history of florida state we've never had more than two so it appears that we'll have three of those guys uh, doing that and then we've had a lot of doubles teams that have had success as well so um, we're about half international, half American. College tennis is a huge international sport, and um, we have three guys on our team, uh, Aziz, uh, Alex Naff, um, uh, who are playing uh, uh, Sebastian Arcella. Those guys are all playing Davis Cup for their country. So uh, they may be uh, uh, at a college team, but they also have the opportunity that they're actually Davis Cup players for their country. You mentioned the Nationals. Are those at, at Athens again, or where are the championships this year? This year it's at Wake Forest. Okay. Um, Wake Forest uh, put in a bid. They they build a brand-new facility that um, they have a pro tournament there in the summer, and uh, uh, ATP 250, and now um, now they bid for the NCAAs, and so they have it this year. It, it is in Georgia a lot, uh, but uh, off getting that, they've, they've put together a very good team, and uh, – conference wise uh you know they're they're top of the conference with north carolina and, and florida state and you've already won there so i like the way that sets up for you Dwayne. yeah we'd love to go back go <laughs> well back and you hopefully will get a chance to host first and second round before the top 16 school teams advance there uh final chance for you to mention uh you know north carolina friday duke on sunday and uh if you win both you're going to be the acc regular season champ yep that sounds good we got a lot of work to do uh, both teams, Duke, we haven't talked as much about, but, you know, Duke is uh, perennially, you know, top two or three in the conference. And, uh, 
They're 20 in the country right now, so that will be a, a very tough match as well. And um, so we we uh, we hope we get a great crowd and a uh, great time to come out there and, and support us this weekend. Appreciate it, and uh, congratulations on the on the success this year, and uh, continue it. Thank you, Coach. All right. Thank you. Dwayne Holtquist, the men's tennis coach, who, uh, as we mentioned uh, last time he was on, He's in like year 19 or 20, like every other coach, it feels like, other than Taggart that, that's been here for a while. Keith, I, I, you know, we haven't gone down this road. This is sort of one of those summer topics we can get into. But the ACC championships, we talk about this once a year, right? It's sort of like the spring game thing. Well, you talk about it about seven times a year, but on the air once a year. Well, no, there was a period where I vented about it probably daily. Well, it's it was kind of like and, brushing and my, my teeth. I would yeah. wake up and say, are we really going to play another baseball championship in North Carolina? And my frustration with it, uh, associated with the baseball, was was women's soccer. And we had the instance six or seven years ago when Coach K sent some kids back home to rest because they had been scheduled back to back to back and had to go back to Carolina and ended up getting fined for some unbeknownst reason to me. And that kind of raised the ugly head of, you know, paying attention to that. It's really in the favor of those North Carolina schools the way it's scheduled because of the travel. That's my biggest contention about it. So for the the sports that draw a ton of fans, you can get into the fan and the spectator argument. And certainly that would apply in football and men's basketball. But a lot of these sports, you're not making money based on how many people are attending. What you are doing is giving an absolute competitive advantage to the schools that do not have to travel and spend more nights away from home three days out of school with tutors to pass their finals or what have you when you're in raleigh or in durham or in chapel hill and you get on a bus at three o'clock and at four o'clock you're over there and carry warmed up for your five o'clock tennis match and it happens in every sport see now you got me queued up i might have to brush my teeth when we're done with this but it, it, it bottle of scope matthew you got a bottle of scope listerine we got anything we can do here and i don't know First of all, let's just take the state of Florida. All right. Florida does not sit in the middle of the ACC footprint. But that means everybody has to travel. So look, that's even. If you looked at the country and said, what is the best state for producing tennis players and golfers? Is Florida not going to be on the very short list? One would assume. In front of most of the other states, including North assume. Carolina and the ACC? I would think. Now, basketball. It took forever, and it was purely because of our ranting, Keith. They finally moved it to New York for a couple of years, and I'm okay with going back to North Carolina. I get it. And then just move New York, D.C., Carolina. Just rotate it through, and I'm happy there. Baseball, you're, you're taking credit for that is what I hear you saying. Baseball need not rotate between Greensboro and Durham forever. I mean, North Carolina had a nice run. They lost in the finals two years in a row under Mike Fox. Elliot Avon has a great team this year, and he's gotten NC State to the World Series. Miami's got four national titles. FSU goes to Omaha all the time. Clemson has had success out there. Georgia Tech. There's a lot of other schools that play baseball. Are you going to add to this? You're just going to let me vent. There's nothing to add. I I concur. Well, anyway, it took HB2 for them to move all those championships out of the state of North Carolina. You're going to take credit for that, too, aren't you? No. And then, then they changed it. They moved them all back. All that said, and this will sound completely contrary. I'm not necessarily against having the football championship game in North Carolina just because I haven't seen a lot of better options there. Although we could ah, certainly argue feel that better. Orlando feel better, would be Matthew, better. Tampa. Matthew, do you feel I feel better. Well, I feel better. All right. Got that off my chest. I'm going to brush my teeth in the break. We'll get our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefell on the line. We'll ask how he feels about it when we continue on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, I calm down. My blood pressure has been lowered, Keith, after that rant. You sounded like you were fixing to deliver a baby with a... <laughs> You'll be happy to know. Our Seminoles.com insider, we don't need you doing that. Tim Linnefelt will join us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Tim, we, we briefed you on my rant. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. So as long as that's where we stopped, we might as well start there. What say you about where all the league championships should be contested? Uh, I mean, you know, North Carolina makes sense to, in a lot of ways just because it's still such a central location. Uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing it mixed up a little bit. You know, they had baseball in, in Louisville last year. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, there's so many kind of neat cities in your geographic footprint that uh, you don't see any harm in kind of rotating them around a little bit. Murder was the one year that the baseball was supposed to be, uh, be at Fenway. And it didn't happen for whatever reason, but that would have been pretty cool, right? So I think, you know, kind of having a, a base in, uh, in North Carolina is fine. And then, you know, maybe branch out here and there to, you know, mix things up and, and give a, a, a different perspective, different vantage point. You're going to get me on another rant. And nice Fenway segue since baseball plays there this weekend, the FSU I'm a, team. I'm a professional. So that's when I was doing the radio. And so they announced a, the tournament was going to be at Fenway. Told my wife, I said, hey, trip to Boston for the championship. And then, like, the major league schedule came out because somebody forgot that important duty of holding the dates for the championship. And the ACC immediately said, we're going to move it to Myrtle Beach. And I said, hey, Laura, guess what? Instead of Boston, we're going to go to the beach for the ACC championship. And then they remembered that they're flying Confederate flags in South Carolina. And they said, we're going to put it in Durham and Greensboro until the world ends. And that's where it's been ever since. Nice and safe. All right. By the way, the baseball team does play in Fenway, but only one of the three games, correct? They play Saturday. They play Saturday. And we're going to have a new starter who's going to get to break into the weekend rotation and do so at Fenway Park. Wow. So that's always nice. I told Tim we'd talk football because uh, these days that's what he's been focused on 24-7. So, Tim, apparently there was a spring football game last weekend, and apparently a good time was had by all. Can you confirm? I believe so. That was, that was my experience, and that's, that seemed to be the uh, the case. I, when, I, when I got back up to the, uh, the press box after uh, after post-game interviews, uh, I had missed Rob Bass, but Salt and Pepper were, were just kind of getting – into the groove of things, and I was like, "Man, I don't, I don't know how I'm expected to work when when Salt and Pepper's on stage right now." And and that was awesome. And then Vanilla Ice came out with a Ninja Turtle, and uh, you know, I, I was pretty distracted for the next hour and a half. So I know I had a good time, and judging by uh, the the amount of people that were there and still there, uh, you know, so long after the game, I think it's pretty safe to say that most people did. I was shocked twofold. I was shocked at the overall size of the crowd for the game, and I was shocked at how many people stayed. I mean, there had to be thirty five thousand there for the concert itself. Um, but we don't need to break down the concert unless you want to. I mean, do you do you feel like you need to do uh, analysis on any of the performances? I think we mostly touched on it. The bigger point is, even without the concert, and kudos to Jason Dennard and everybody involved with that, I think that crowd would have been pretty doggone close to what it was just for the excitement of the Taggart era right now. I, I actually kind of tend to agree with you. I think the, you know, the concert was really cool, but uh, but yeah, I think you know folks – they wanted to see it, right? And uh, and and Lloyd Taggart has done such a good job, uh, in my estimation, of sort of you know, connecting with the fan base and, and reaching out to the fans, supporters, and alumni in a way that feels organic and and not contrived and not like he's just trying to to sell you something. You know what I mean? It just it it, it really kind of felt uh, very natural the way that that he's uh, found a way to build a foundation with the Tallahassee community and the Florida State community, and, and I think what you saw was. You know, kind of a result of that, and then the 
Foster, of course, was just uh, you know a cherry on top. Well, let's get down to what happened on the field. What what what's your uh, let's say top two takeaways? What were you writing about? What what kind of uh, topics were on Seminoles dot com as you did your takeaway and uh, and uh, retrospective look back at what happened? Well, the, the one thing for sure was you know it seemed to be the theme of the day was was young players, uh, you know, freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. Who, uh, who who made plays that, that we hadn't seen before, and then the two most obvious ones, are, of course, are Tamori and Terry and, and Kalen LeBourne. So you talked to both those guys about you know the, the, their experiences up to this point and, and just how good it felt to get out and show a crowd of people you know what they're able to do. Neither was able to do that last year. They're both both during redshirt years, and, and you, you sort of watch that and, and you see Kalen LeBourne rip off ninety yard runs. You see Tamori and Terry you know, do what he did to to uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, you know pretty much the, the entire game. And uh, and you, know, you kind of can't help but think to yourself after a, a seven and six season, like, oh man, you know, <laughs> maybe it would have been worth getting some of these guys a look, especially Maury and Terry. Obviously, Florida State's running back situation was uh, was a little different last year, um, but uh, so that was kind of one, you know, getting those guys thoughts, and then too, just sort of you know the overall uh, the atmosphere uh, around the game, which I thought was so so perfect, uh, you know, and really probably what a spring game should be, right? I mean, you know, we're not going to remember the stats or, you know, really probably not the score for too terribly long or who beat who because it really doesn't matter. Um, but just the overall vibe and, and atmosphere and, and, you know, seeing seeing Coach Bowden walk out of that tunnel, you know, what a, what a cool moment that was. Or seeing Deion Sanders, you know, do his thing there, which, which you, you know, you don't see very often. And, and you know, the, the, all the, get all the former players together and, and see the way they connect with the current players and the fan base and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, just, it, it's a day that you're going to remember, I think, if you're a Florida State football fan. Um, for a long time, you know, beyond anything that uh, that happened actually on the field, and and I think that's kind of what you know like the spring game should be. You know, it should be a, a celebration of the program and, and the community, and uh, you know, the, the the family atmosphere that you try to cultivate. You know, that, that that's that's what that type of day should be about. We keep getting crowds like that, and Keith and I might stop lobbying to have Florida State play Auburn in a jamboree every spring. I mean, you don't need to if you're going to get that. I feel like one young guy that got overshadowed by the two you already mentioned is is Bailey Hawkman, uh, who, if you remember back last August when when DeAndre got hurt, I guess it was September or whatever, Jimbo really sold us hard on James Blackman, and I have nothing against James Blackman at all, but, but Hawkman was hurt at that time, and he's been hurt a little bit this spring, and yet despite that, he made some nice throws on Saturday. No, he really did. He really did. Um, yeah, you know, I thought he looked impressive, and you know, it's kind of... Uh... It's it's weird, right? You know how everything sort of resets with a new coaching staff and a new offense, and that you know a lot of what you know or think you knew about uh, players in the roster, particularly quarterbacks, um, you know, kind of come into question, and, and it, it's debatably relevant when when everything is so so different. Uh, you know, the one thing I'll say, and it's not to say um, you know less about Bailey and more about James Hockman is, or excuse me, uh, James Blackman. I'm going to get that mixed <laughs> mixed up. Um, is the you know the situation? One of them's the tall and one of them's short. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, the, when you look at the, the when you split a team up, you know, it's kind of hard to, to you're, you're going to be deficient in some areas. And, and I think when you look at the the, the receiving core um, that uh, that Bailey was throwing to and the and the defensive backs that that James was throwing against, um, I think you know, uh, had the roles been reversed, I think James Blackman would have would have had a, a pretty impressive day too. Not that he didn't, but I think it would have looked better than than maybe the numbers would suggest. So. It's like I said, it's kind of hard to read too much into it, but but no, I, overall, um, I thought it was cool to see uh, see Bailey Hockman you know, perform the way that he did, and I think if nothing else, I think he kind of gives you some confidence that if you're in a situation where uh, where he's playing this fall, uh, you probably feel you know pretty good about it. Now you, you sort of know what you have in him, whereas before you didn't, and uh, you know he looked like he belonged 
uh, on the collegiate stage, and the moment wasn't too big for him. And you know, give him, give him some time and some guys to throw it to, and, and he can do his part. Well, let's uh, make sure we finish the entire quarterback uh, conversation. Obviously, a setback from my perspective with DeAndre and uh, what happened last week. Uh, Serious cause for concern, uh, just another um, misdemeanor miscue, or what should we make of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't want to say it's not serious because obviously, you know, anytime you're in, you're making headlines for that sort of thing, it's it's not a great thing, especially uh, when you're you know trying to be a starting quarterback and, and be a leader of a team. And we've all heard what. You know what Willie Taggart demands of his quarterbacks is you have to be a leader of a team and somebody that, that guys can rally around and and you know and that that includes off field stuff. Um, that said, man, I don't know. It's a long summer, right? And, and you, you got to hope that that he can bounce back and, and kind of meet the expectations that uh, that, that Willie Taggart has, has set for him pretty clearly and, and pretty publicly too. And, you know, I thought uh, what uh, what Coach Taggart said after the game um, on Saturday was was pretty pretty telling, but also. Uh, kind of the, exactly the right thing to say was that you know he's he's still with the team and we still have expectations for him and you know said that he he needs to be careful about you know who he's hanging around and what he's hanging around and, and I, I loved uh, Willie Taggart's advice was I I advise him to spend as much time with his teammates as possible and uh, you know I think if if if, if DeAndre heeds his coach's advice I, I think he'll be just fine and he'll have something to say uh, in this quarterback race. Let's talk some schematic stuff here, Tim, because uh, Keith and I have not done a ton of it, but we all knew we were going to see tempo. Then we saw going forward on fourth down. Granted, it's a spring game, so I mean, I don't know if that necessarily means that at his own 30 in a regular game he's going to do that or whatever the yard line was. The wide receiver splits was something that, as a guy who stands on the sideline, was really jarring because literally Tom was ready to interview him. I, I mean, I could literally reach out and we could hold hands if we wanted to. They're that far over. So, uh, and then the and then the calling the trick plays, which I saw Coach Taggart speak twice over the weekend, not to the media, but once to the Seminole Booster Board, once to another group of foundation and alumni and booster board members. And he's on record as saying. The, the the trick plays that wasn't you know that's not a spring game thing that's what I believe and we're going to see that on a regular basis so I'll let you react to any of that that you want to there no I uh, I, I think that's probably fair to say you know what, what the most telling thing was uh, to me uh, about that that dynamic and and you sort of touched on it was that you know, we we saw a game in which uh, two wide receivers threw passes and uh, a quarterback lined or a running back lined up at quarterback and took a snap out of you know the wildcat or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the offense has combined to put up, I think, more than 600 yards in a second half that was with a running clock. So, you know, safe to assume there would be more yardage uh, in, in a real game scenario. And then after the game, the head coach comes out and, and says that they were pretty vanilla. So this this is the definition of vanilla uh, for this offense. So yeah, no, I'm 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 with you. It, it you know it, it definitely kind of has a has a feel of aggression uh, to it. You know the way the, the way that you were, uh, approach the offense. You know it's going to be trying to dictate terms and, and doing things and, you know, at your, certainly at your own pace, but, you know, the way that you want to do them rather than react to the defense, you know, you, you, you dictate the terms, you set the way the game's going to go. And, and, you know, you certainly do that with pace, but you also do that with, you know, trick plays and being creative and being inventive and maybe being a little bit unorthodox. So, you know, well, and you talk about unorthodox. Uh, there was one series where I forget which team uh, had a first down. They ran a running play. They immediately got back to the line, ran the same run and play. Immediately got back to the line, ran the same run and play. They yeah. ran the same play three consecutive times as fast as they could run it. Yeah, yeah, 
And I think I think you know you're probably going to see a lot of that, and it's just about you know wearing guys down and and uh, catching people off guard, not letting them get lined up, and you know you you can stop it okay the first two times, but can you stop it the third time when we're running for the third time in less than a minute or something like that? You know, and I think that's kind of a lot of what it's predicated on. Well, two things I think that were over. Um, exaggerated because it was the spring game. Uh, I'd like your uh, reaction to number one the the play of the offensive line. They, they were they were they were the boys in the black jerseys uh, playing both ways basically, uh, and the number of sacks that were given up. And obviously, if you got anywhere near one of the quarterbacks and and blew in his ear, uh, they were uh, whistling it as a sack. But uh, cause of concern or just a dynamic of the way the spring game was? Well, I, you know. I, it, those issues are, are different, but they're also kind of one and the same, right? Uh, but, Noel, for first and foremost, when it comes to sacks, no, I wouldn't put anything into that at all. Look, I mean, obviously the defensive line played well, and the offensive line, I think, you know, has some, some room to get better and, you know, bear in mind that they're uh, they're going to get some guys back that they're, they're planning on having for this fall. But sacks in a spring game, we're not going to leave the quarterback, bring the quarterback down. I mean, no way. I mean, with some of those have been sacks, for sure. But there are other times. When you know a quarterback's able to make plays, make a guy miss, and you know, saw it, take it back to Bailey Hawkman, saw him all spring, uh, be able to get out of the pocket and, and evade, and he's actually really good at that as, as far as you know, making a guy miss uh, and, and buying some time and, and getting out on the run and making a throw. We can't really do that, uh, you know, and in a situation where if, if a fingertip is the uh, the threshold for a sack, so I wouldn't worry about that at all. And the same thing goes for for the offensive line. You know, I uh, think the depth and injuries being what they are. I mean, look, you know, the, those guys still, I think probably feel like they need to get better and Willie Taggart said as much uh kind of throughout the spring um but you're playing without a three-year starter at center um who's a you know a pretty steady guy obviously you're playing without Jawan Williams who you know was I think the running with the first team uh, running as the first team left tackle for a lot of practice last year uh, before he got hurt you plan on getting him back uh Cole Minshew who's been a starter had been banged up in and out of spring so that's potentially three starters at least um you know who weren't able to uh weren't able to play or weren't able to practice much at all in Emberley's case not really hardly at all uh in the spring that you're planning on having this fall so you know i i, I would like to see you know let's give them their, their full complement of guys as much as you can um and see you know their their best combination when, when they have that and then uh, at that point kind of evaluate but for now uh, i wouldn't worry too much and then the other thing man is just you know the, one of the things about this offense is that you have to have an offensive line of course but um, there are ways that you can mitigate that um, if, if you're having a hard time up front. And, and certainly in this type of offense, which is built on speed and, and getting the ball out quickly and getting it out of the space, where um, you can kind of help yourself a little bit. We have once again spent 15 minutes talking about the offense and have not mentioned uh, the defense at all. I'm sure you're upset about that, Keith. We just keep talking about selling popcorn. Well, I, I, I think we were all just interested in watching it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those old school guys, and Tim, you and I have talked about this just a little bit, that, that has some tentative reservations about the up-tempo. Tommy, you and I have talked about it as well. You know, if, if in a regular college football game, the opponent gets the ball 10 times, and on average they score 18 points, that's 1.8 points per possession. If we go up-tempo and we give them the ball five more times, then that's five times 1.8 that, as a defensive coordinator, you're expecting me to keep them out of the end zone. Uh, but the reality is that's the way the college game is played today, so I'll voice my concern and then just be quiet and see what Tim says. Well, all that to say, yeah, you're right, but that's kind of the reality of, of sort of what you have to deal with, right? Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what, what the worst going to be. And then the truth is, 
you know, those are the types of offenses that you're going to see uh, when you're playing, you know, against like Clemson or Louisville or, or Syracuse, whoever. I mean, those, those guys move fast, and so uh, you, you might as well be prepared yeah, for Tim, it. Tim, you yeah. can't see, you cannot see Tommy because you called in, but Tommy is just shaking his head from left to right, and he's got this, uh, KJ, I am so disappointed in you look on his face. It, I should take a photograph. <laughs> it's a great meme, and you wouldn't even have to say anything. Disappointed in you or me? Did me, call- I think. Hold on. Did you call it a meme? I did. Okay. I was just checking. Do we need a ruling on that, Tim? Would you like to weigh in? Uh, I have always understood it to not be meme, but, you know, I don't I don't know. <laughs> How about you, you? That works. <laughs> I think, and we can have the phone dictate back the correct pronunciation. I think we're going to go with meme here. I couldn't let I you guess. slide with meme. I do think it's meme. Now I'm getting another shaking of yeah. the head from left well, to right. Well, here's what I want to do as we wrap up, Tim, because these days are gone. Uh, Keith, your defense back in the day, I guess it was 1980, led the nation in fewest points allowed, correct? Correct. How many points was that over the course of a season? Or course, per game? 7.6 per game. 7.6? So 82, 83 in the season. Okay. So, and no fourth quarter points, right? Correct. All right, so 83 points in your 1980 season, and I bet it's even money that FSU will score more than 83 points in one game this year. Probably. If they wanted to, they could. What do you think, Tim? Probably so. Man, 83, that would be a new school record. Uh, I wouldn't say even money, but probably not too far off that. Well, two games. Every two games, they're going to surpass 83 points. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all right, I'm done shaking my head at uh, Keith. We'll let you go as well, Tim. Thank you as always. You got it, folks. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. I, I, if I don't entertain our listeners, if nothing else, once a week I entertain one Tom uh, Thomas William Block. Can I, no can I go to your the other sport that you broadcast here? To me, these offenses, it's basically like about 10 years ago we introduced the three-point shot to the sport. And now well, – It's well over 10 years, but that's no, okay. To college football, I'm saying, with the spread offenses. And, I mean, you can pick the – I realized the three-point shot came into play a long time ago, even before you were announcing basketball games. That, that is Jones. correct. I'm just saying it, it. it's now it's to the point uh, – it's almost to a tipping point where more offenses are going to be going this way instead of fewer. For a while we've been – there's been some outliers, but now we're sort of hitting the tipping point and everybody's going to go this the, way. The only thing that I find interesting, and we will see this change over time, I think it's an accurate statement. You have not yet seen – a team uh, of this type of up-tempo and spread, you've not yet seen that team consistently or those types of offenses consistently win the national championship. And I think once that occurs, which it will, there's going to be a time over a three- or five- or seven-year period where the majority of the national champions are running this type of offense. (coughs) Pardon me. That's when the naysayers like me will completely shut up and and go in our corner and live live life in the past. Well, and we need to wrap up this segment. Maybe we'll continue this conversation. But therein, that will point, what you just said, points exactly to all the concerns people have about this offense, which is can you get the tough yard? On third and one, can you get it when your quarterback's in a shotgun? Can you play defense and make a stop when you need to make a stop? And until that happens, there will be some some questions raised about it. But it's going to be fun along the way. No question. That. No okay. question. We've got uh, one more segment to go. We'll do it right after this on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. All right, welcome back. We got uh, a few minutes to go. The first thing I want to do is set the record straight here. This is, you know, we need to start having an educational moment each week on the show. And you're going to make me go out and try to find a sponsor for it, aren't you? Why not? Well, how about dictionary.com? Because that's where I went, just for the sake of our listeners here. Let's let's take a listen. Let's see if we can hear this. Meme. Meme. Did you hear that, Keith? You want to hear it again one more time? Meme. meme. There's so, not a second syllable to it. It's a meme to me, and it's a you-you to you. My mom is known as Mimi to my kids. That's grandma. But if you're talking about what you were discussing, M-E-M-E, meme, it's meme. Well, I have these. That's courtesy. That was a, that's courtesy. I have these right bushes in my yard, you know, shrubbery that were once your ponds, but now they're my ponds. So they've gone back to you ponds. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a little do-it-yourself project that I just tackled uh, thanks to the help of the World Wide Web. And if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. For all your power tool needs, I'm not sure if they can help you with phonetics and pronunciations, but perhaps. Uh, two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. By the way, one of our, another one of our fine sponsors, Hobson Chevrolet up in Cairo, you know, you hear the commercials – uh, from Bob, shut up. <laughs> from Bob, that's the dad, and Austin is the son. Guess who's getting married this weekend? It's not Bob the dad. I'm going to go with Austin the it's son. It's Austin the son. So we wish uh, Austin and Haley much, much happiness uh, with their nuptials on Saturday. There you go. Congratulations. Did I say nuptials correctly? I, I think so. I, you you want to look that up? Let's too? just look this up. I mean, not, let's not look it up. Let's just set the record straight here. You let me continue this to just poke fun at you. Because it doesn't bother me. I know, and I appreciate I know that. It, I appreciate that because there's plenty of things. you feel much better about yourself than it makes me feel bad about myself. It makes me feel like the bigger man, even if sometimes I get the shorter chair here. Remember we had that whole dynamic when we first well, started? We'd have had that and on the And then I rolled video. over backwards and <laughs> head over heels. Hey, I had what a buddy I mean. whose comment about things, you know, when an accident would happen, something like that would happen. And for our listeners, Tom literally sat down in a chair and went over backwards. It was heels overhead, unbelievable. And I got a buddy of mine that anytime anything like that has happened, since that show on television with the videos, uh, America's, America's Funniest Home Videos, he'll go, wait, wait, it's wait. It's actually called Video. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. He'll go, wait, 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 wait. Let's remember this. We're a camcorder away from $10,000. Well, an hour. And that's how old it was because it was camcorders back yes. then. Now we just pull out a phone and everything. You know, now that you bring up that um, – the anguish that I have suffered trying to recover from that chair spill, whenever that was, I'm still mad at the headlines guys because they discussed it on headlines and then left the chair here. I mean, they just left the hole in the floor for me to walk right into. I had forgotten that. I had so so that. thanks to Jeff and Corey and Ira for for the workplace safety that they uh, you know inspired or uh, promoted, whatever the word is. All right, let's finish up this. This is one thing we didn't talk about with Willie Taggart getting it back to sports. The Seminole Booster Spring Tour starts Monday in Jacksonville. And based on everything that Coach Taggart has done so far, I just can't help but think that he's going to absolutely hit it out of the park every stop he makes. He's, next week is Jacksonville, Panama City, and Pensacola. Well, two things. Number one, yes, you are correct. And I believe that he will continue to do that three, five, ten years from now. Uh, you know, some of the words that people – uh, much more intelligent than I am, 
have started using about Willie is, and Tim used one of them, organic. You know, it's just inbred in him to love Florida State University. Uh, another word that I've used, heard used is transparent. He, he doesn't put on airs. He doesn't, he doesn't try to pretend to be something that he's not. Uh, he's willing to uh, adapt and, and listen and change. He's not so set in his ways that, uh, you know, his, his principled things he's not going to give up. But uh, he'll listen. Uh, and those were just attributes that I think our entire prior staff, uh, headed up by, uh, by Jimbo, you wouldn't necessarily say things about. The other thing is I've been told, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I've been told that Willie's going to do 15 events this year for the boosters or maybe more, but a minimum of 15. Jimbo balked at that. He didn't want to do that. He did, he, he, he did as few as he could get away with doing to try to keep everybody happy. And, and, and that goes all the way back to the Bowden era when when coach would get in a van with Charlie Barnes on a Monday and they didn't have a private plane and they right. didn't have uh, plush surroundings. They'd get in a van and drive from Tallahassee to four places and come back on Friday and then do it again the next week because Coach Bowden embraced that. And I think, uh, I think Coach Taggart appears to embrace – he embraces recruiting. He embraces getting out with the fan base. Uh, and, and it shows because it's not – it's not contrived. It's not made up. It, it it's yeah, truly organic, genuine. Organic is the word, and and I agree uh, on all points there. I think he will embrace it. Um, in terms of the the verbiage right now, to be fair, when Jimbo came in, we heard something new, and we were all excited when somebody said, "Oh, we're all too focused on the outcomes. Let's worry about the process." You know. But then we heard it for eight years, and we thought we need something else. You know, maybe we'll be that way eight years from now with Willie. Um, but no, I do think, I mean, it's a younger, fresher, cooler, hipper factor that's, uh, associated with the football program now, which is resonating with the recruiting, but there's a genuine, uh, just kind of human nature, who he is appeal factor to him that strikes a chord with, with all constituencies. Well, and I think it'll translate into a number of other things. Again, season ticket sales, uh, walk up attendance for home games, uh, attendance at a bowl game, uh, fundraising, uh, booster contributions, attendance at the bu- booster events. Uh, I think all of that uh, momentum will carry into all the other aspects that are Florida State football. It, it's a, you, you heard the former players say that when they came back. It was great to be back in the family. It was great to feel that camaraderie. And this felt like the old Florida State, and we've gotten back to that. Somebody should make a meme of that, don't you think? I mean a meme. Anyway. Are they your pawns or are they my pawns? He's Keith. I'm Tom. And uh, we'll do the skin next week. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.